Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Adam Ludgate. Adam is a technical leader who is involved in the startup tech community and is enticed by new and innovative ways of solving problems with technology. He has worked previously with the likes of IBM Canada, AOL UK, tech startups in London's Silicon Roundabout, as well as in a variety of oil and gas software firms in various software development and leadership capacities. Now let's join Adam now as he has an interesting conversation with Mark Botkin. Take it away, Adam. Hi, I'm Adam Ludgate. On today's episode of the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast, I'll be speaking with Mark Botkin. Uh, Mark has come up with a really interesting product idea that we want to discuss in the show. So Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Well, Adam, thank you for having me here. Just to introduce yourself a little bit, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where are you from, education, working background, and what are you currently up to? Okay, well, um, I grew up in Southern Saskatchewan. I'm actually a farm boy by uh, birth. Went to the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, and uh, I've spent uh, most of my adult life working in startups of one type or another. Lived in Edmonton for quite a while, and now I'm in Calgary, so... Ultimately, now my projects are focused in Calgary. Okay, cool. And what type of projects right now are you, kind of what's your major skill set? Are you, I think I saw that you were doing computer programming. Are you kind of an entrepreneur inventor? Tell me a little more about that. I have two projects underway. Uh, One of them involves the construction industry, uh, building envelope manufacturing. uh, That involves uh, digital prototyping uh, using 3D modeling software. I'm actually using a similar type of software to uh, design and test a bicycle seat design that I've patented. And ultimately, these two projects have been running side by side up until the pandemic issues arose, at which point I'm now focused on the bike seat. Okay, cool. So that's a great segue into the discussion that I wanted to have with you then on the bike seat. Um, So let's talk about the bike seat itself. Can you describe to our listeners the seat and how it works and what it looks like in case they've not seen it before? Okay, whenever I show people this or try to describe it, I, I explain it as a, an answer to the problem of the saddle. The traditional saddle on a bicycle has been around since bicycles were invented, and they have design limitations that have never been addressed and is the cause for a large dropout rate, especially amongst older riders. I am one of those riders, and uh, I am a lifelong bicyclist, so for me, the idea of stopping biking was just not in the cards. So, being in my nature, I decided to uh, solve the problem myself, and I set out to design an alternative, which I describe as the inverse of a saddle. The general sort of generic name I give to it is a wing seat, but really you can picture it as a kind of a short bench seat that uh, is mounted in such a way that it can move with your body as you're pedaling. The trick to this whole business is that the human body prefers to sit on a bench seat, but you can't pedal on one of them. And the saddle was a compromise that basically sacrificed comfort for mobility. What I've done is reversed that and uh, essentially made something that's comfortable to sit on, but you can also pedal. And that was fairly tricky. This is not a simple problem and I've constructed several prototypes and it's, it's a little hard to picture. 
what I tell people most of the time is that the best way to experience this uh, design is to actually get one and ride it. And uh, the feedback I, I've been getting on it from other people has been quite positive. So uh, I seem to be on the right track. It is an R&D project, though, in as much as uh, I see this development process going on for quite a while. But I'm right at the stage right now where I'm ready to release the first commercial version of it. And uh, I've done extensive testing with it. And I'm quite happy with the results. Uh, the outcome has been quite positive and certainly kept me on the, on the bicycle, which is ultimately was the original intent. But I think there's a lot more people out there who could benefit from this. Okay, that's a good introduction. And I find this particularly interesting myself as I've done quite a bit of cycling. I am also a big cyclist. And you know, if you've ever been on one of these multi-day cycling events where you're going hundreds of kilometers, the level of discomfort will gradually increase <laughs> due to the bike seat fairly quickly. So, you know, you, you came up with this idea really because you were, you were finding discomfort. Um, you know, how did you actually come up with the invention yourself? You know, what, what led you to come up with the design that you've come up with? Well, it's kind of a combination of the, just the way I think about things and, and the recognition in my mind that the, most of the designs in the bicycle industry that have attempted to address this problem seem to ignore the characteristics of the human body. I've come from a, a medical research background, and I have, I think, a better understanding of that. And I applied that to the uh, the issue of how to implement something like this. But it was a trial and error process in as much as uh, I started out with some 3D model designs that I thought might work did some prototype building, go through another iteration. And after about seven iterations like that, I finally converged on a solution. And And I can tell you that it was interesting in the sense that I could not have predicted where it ended up from where I started. So the initial phase of it was, was something like a small bench or a variation of a traditional saddle and, and then it evolved? Uh, it was more a case of the mechanism. I knew I wanted a bench. I knew I had to make it move. The problem was, how do you make it move so that the human being on the other side of that interface uh, doesn't have more problems than are being solved? And the human beings are notoriously sensitive to repetitive strain issues. And that's one of the things that makes has made a lot of the att earlier attempts, the ones that are out there now, failures, basically, because they, they didn't pay attention to the subtleties of the problem. So I put a lot of effort into that, and uh, I'm actually quite pleased with the outcome, although, I, as I said before, I couldn't have predicted where it went. Okay, and yeah, so other people have tried similar approaches to try and deal with the issues of a traditional bike saddle that you've seen? Well, if you go on YouTube, you can find a few different variants of people's uh, ideas about how they think that problem might be solved. They're all making some variant or another of a bench seat, but none of them seem to understand that this thing has to move in a very specific way. You can't get that wrong. If you get it even a little bit wrong, the thing won't work. And uh, there are, like I said, YouTube examples where people evaluate some of these things and they're, well, I find them amusing to watch, but I can explain exactly why they don't work. And have you seen attempts from any of these people to actually commercialize their seats? And have oh, they any of them been successful? 
Yeah, yes, there's several of them out there that I've, if you look on the Bike Rumors site, you'll see them occasionally. Uh, there's a couple more that uh, I'm not going to get into naming them or anything, but uh, they're basically being promoted via the internet and that sort of thing. And a very interesting one I can mention is called The Spongy Wonder, which was presented on an episode of The Dragon's Den. People should look at that to see the kind of foibles that go on when somebody decides they're going to solve this problem and don't really understand it and then try to sell it to people. And uh, the reaction of the dragons to this fellow was interesting uh, and informative. But more to the point, this fellow managed to sell a number, uh, I think it was about 30,000 of these things in Western Canada. And yet, ultimately, it will not be a commercial success because the problem hasn't been solved. Uh, and once again, I can explain exactly why, but I don't want to get into the details. Right. Okay. So you're saying that the differentiator really on your product is the fact that it has this pivot swivel ability, right? So when you, when your leg goes on the downstroke of one side of the bike itself, the seat pivots downward to allow your leg to move freely fully as if it would on a traditional saddle. Is that correct? Well, it's actually a fairly complex motion in three dimensions. Uh, it's a little hard to describe, but the net effect of it is that it doesn't interfere with the movement of the place on the back of your leg that's in contact with the front of the seat. So when you're riding the thing, you can put your weight on the seat and it will follow your leg and not interfere with it. So you're basically not fighting it, which is uh, one of the problems some of these seats have. The other one, of course, is that the uh, people tend to slide off them. And uh, the the seat that I've designed uh, has uh, a structure in it that makes it so that you're stable in terms of being able to sit the saddle, even during wide variations in their, your pedaling demand. Right, yeah, because sometimes you'll shift your weight depending on whether you're going down a hill, up a hill, off-road, on-road, that type of thing. And I can imagine it would be difficult to make sure that as the as the seat swivels back and forth, it, it doesn't give you too much leniency out one way that you slide off. Yes, and, and if this particular seat is designed with the intention that you should be able to shift your weight around quite freely, and that's one of the keys to its success. Cool. So the target market for this product, who would you say... It is. I mean, people with back issues, I, I think you've already indicated that, but maybe you could expand a little bit on the, the target market. Well, the original research uh, revealed that uh, about 15% of people who already ride are having problems with the saddle already. And there's an unknown but quite large number of people who have just given up. And I've run into quite a few of these people, and it's quite interesting to hear their stories they don't or are not aware of and in fact there isn't an alternative to the saddle so they just basically stop riding and you know when you you see some of the stories uh, you can understand why people don't want to be in pain <laughs> you know ultimately that should be a no-brainer but uh, the bicycle industry doesn't seem to acknowledge this and they're just you know trying the same thing over and over expecting a different outcome and all of the f- things they do to fit saddles uh, work to a point but they're working against the laws of physics and the structure of the human body. And I've actually written quite detailed uh, descriptions of the reasons why the saddle doesn't work for a lot of people. 
anyone though who has ever ridden a bike knows that when, when you start riding after a period of abstinence, you're going to go through a period of adaptation where the thing is going to hurt you some and you have to adapt to it. Uh, it's just that there's a lot of people who just can't get through that. Yeah. And it begs a question for me as well. Um, you know, why would a big player like specialized or a lot of these other large cycling manufacturers not have taken a whack at something like this? You know, they've got big budgets. Um, they could probably perform a lot of the research that you would have performed. Um, but clearly they don't seem to have much of incentive to do it. Do you have any idea why? Well, um, I think it's because it's a hard problem. And the nature of the people who enter into this business tend to be more of an engineering type. And without being uh, uh, you know, too critical of that, uh, they don't really understand the human body uh, the way someone who studied it does. And for some reason, the industry just selects for those people and not for ones who can really understand the effect of this equipment on them. I've actually been uh, communicating over the, a LinkedIn channel that uh, is part of the bicycle industry group and have written a number of treatises there uh, asking that question, why haven't you people gotten on to this? And really, there's, there's no consensus, uh, but most people seem to agree that something needs to be done. Right. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're you're at least uh, focused on getting something done. So in terms of the prototyping and testing you know, how many hours out on the bike has this been tested? You know, have you done some really longer rides with it to kind of show, demonstrate that it does make a really big difference as compared to a traditional saddle? Well, the, the testing has been primarily uh, me riding it. I've got close to 2,000 kilometers on the last three prototypes. The one I'm riding right now being the one that I am have the, the, the shortest distance, but I'm up to about 300 kilometers on it. Mostly I wanted to determine, a, and I, you know, I have a fairly typical physiology here, so I, I think I'm a fairly decent representative of, the, of a test case. And I've been finding it uh, quite gratifying that over long rides, uh, 20 to 30, 40 kilometers, that kind of thing, that it does not hurt. I mean, that's the one thing that really makes the difference. You don't come away from those rides feeling like you've injured yourself. And it doesn't cause the issues that the saddle can. When people get saddle sore on those long rides, they can often, and this is actually a, a not a particularly well-known fact, that people shifting their weight trying to deal with being saddle sore can injure their knees and there's some 60% of people who ride regularly over their lifespan have knee injury problems because of it. Yeah, right. Okay, for sure. And I, I'm myself, I'm a little bit fortunate in that I don't have huge issues with traditional saddle for cycling. I can go for decently long rides and I don't experience a lot of discomfort. But I know that, you know, depending on your body type and everything may vary uh, in how much problem you have with the seat itself. So that kind of moves me into the next thing I wanted to ask about was medical, you know, the, the medical research on this, you've alluded to that somewhat, right? Like an exercise physiologist or something like that, who understands the way the body works and exercise and kind of pro provide some feedback on potential benefits or negatives of the design versus a traditional saddle. Have you had much input? I mean, you've, you've got some experience and knowledge yourself. Have you had much input from anyone else on that in that area? Well, I, uh, there's several issues there. Uh, one of them is a, a, a time that I uh, actually had a saddle fitter 
uh, evaluate the seat. And he was extremely enthusiastic about it. I was quite impressed with his reaction, given that his career is based around saddles. But the the more interesting uh, professional feedback uh, came from a a chiropractor who was uh, interested in it, who uh, told me that it actually could well be good for your lower back because of the way the thing allows your back to move as as opposed to the saddle, which tends to limit the movement of your lower back, as well as a, an emergency room physician who uh, was actually a spin biker who put it on her uh, spin bike and uh, found that it helped quite a bit there as well. Interesting that people who uh, compete on stationary bikes have the same problem yeah definitely stationary bikes are well i mean i think they they are a bit different than riding outside the way you're the way you move your weight as you're not so focused on having to balance bike but um so this seat do you think that you know there's a particular rider type that would be interested in using this like i don't see i don't see uh, a tour de france picking anything like this up they'd probably just trick stick to traditional saddles but but maybe i'm wrong here so do you see it as kind of a mountain bike thing, general leisure riding, competitive road riding, or all of the above? What are your thoughts on the on the actual users? Well, I describe the current design as a lifestyle choice. It's basically there to make the bicycle comfortable. Uh, how you ride it is up to you. As far as the competitive side of it is concerned, I don't anticipate not going that route at some point. But right now, the the very large target market are people who want to or need to ride for one reason or another. And there are a lot of really strong arguments, especially right now, for getting out on a bicycle, but they just can't because the bikes hurt them. And when I say hurt them, I mean it really hurts them. <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this is a serious issue for these people. Yeah, and uh, for anyone who's been paying attention to the news uh, during the COVID crisis, you'll note that there has been an explosion in sales of bikes. Um, I myself have been trying to get in contact with a couple of bike shops here in Calgary to get some repairs done for my bike, and it's been radio silence. So um, it's very timely here that the market is exploding in the in biking area. So good t- good timing for you here. Uh, I put a post on LinkedIn uh, in the bike industry group basically describing the bicycle as the ideal solution to the problem of uh, physical fitness right now. Uh, because it strengthens your immune system, it tends to blunt the effect of cabin fever, and it in- enforces by its very nature the social distancing that you need right now. Uh, and I got a lot of feedback on that one. All of it was positive. Oh, that's great to hear. So in terms of getting this this thing to market, um, you know, I know you're still prototyping and testing. Um, is there any kind of... Um, approvals that you would need to get from a government to to get this thing out to to market or is it kind of a a product that is not really in that space and you're safe you're safe to go ahead and sell it if you want to go sell it commercially well i've looked into the whole uh, like the csa business and uh best uh, advice i can get on that subject is that essentially for something like this it's the wild west (laughs) you know basically your biggest danger if somebody sues you if it breaks under them so my approach to this whole thing is uh, using massive overkill in the design. Basically, you can beat up on these things as much as you like, and they won't break, especially with the latest design. Okay. So let's say you're good. To, you're good to go here. You're happy with your design. You're ready to. You're ready to see if you can get it out to market. What is what is your manufacturing and distribution look like? Uh, you know, sales channel and. And where's this thing going to be built? Well, the uh, online sales are obviously the the starting point for something like this, especially right now. 
One of the biggest challenges I've had up to this point is figuring out how to build these things. And a lot of it has to do with being competitive in the pricing area. People just by their very nature will compare this to the saddle market and they don't want to pay more than they might for a saddle. In my experimentation, what I've basically come down to is that the process of uh, additive manufacturing is a, a really good way to build these things in, in every way except throughput. What I've seen here is that you can use really tough materials and they print them in a way that I was actually surprising to me. They use a, a derivative of honeycomb structure, which is a specific printing technique that creates a very lightweight structure that's extremely strong and i'm very happy with the performance of the thing the way it is it's just that 3d printers are kind of slow and uh, i still haven't quite sorted out how i was going how i'm going to uh, get the numbers up since this is a consumer product that's a problem remains to be solved but everything else about it is uh, just uh, i mean i'm really enjoying the the, the outcome uh, the results that i got uh, from uh, building them this way and was quite surprised because I don't have a lot of prior background in the 3D printing arena. So this was a a welcome surprise. Okay. And have you actually used 3D printing to develop your prototypes? Well, yeah, that's what I'm writing right now. Oh, very cool. And you've, and you've used this honeycomb structure. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Cause that was something that I was going to, going to ask you about as well in terms of actual weight, right? So that's some things that a lot of people really care about with their bikes. They want to make sure they're as light as possible. Well, you're talking. Um, sorry, I'm interrupting, but uh, I just wanted to point out that, that, that that's an issue that comes up with a certain constituency within the bicycle industry. I rode a steel frame bike for most of my adult life and uh, didn't have any problems with it. So, a lot of this is really just a personal preference. It's not a requirement, and ultimately, that's what's driving this. Uh, with and it's more on the performance side. I think people who want to be comfortable won't notice the difference in terms of the weight. Yeah, for sure. I think it's I think it's really more of a perception thing than anything else. As you say, you know, people uh, may really may really value having a, a lightweight bike, but they may not actually get a huge benefit out of it. Well, like I've run, you know, you run into situations where you know a, a female is riding it and has to carry the bike up to the third floor in their walk up apartment, you know, and that kind of thing. But that's not a common situation, right? That, that, that's not representative of the, the average. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of actually getting this thing to market, then um, have you gone to look for capital? Have you done a lot of investment pitches? What's the situation there to you know get you to that next step where this thing's on the shelf? Well, I've gone through some exercises uh, with angel investors and talked to people with uh, Alberta Innovates actually had a uh, an experience with a guy named Alex Rosenko, who was part of the Alberta Innovation uh, Group, who really liked the idea and was getting ready to make some uh, promotional deals. Uh, in particular, he uh, was connected with people on the Dragon's Den program, and then he passed away, and that was the end of that run. <laughs> and so I, I kind of had to start over again from that one. But uh, I've been exploring different paths and looking at different types of options, and uh, it's still a little fuzzy. And ultimately, though, I'm beginning to think that a crowdfunding project might be the the best approach for us, uh, not the least of which is because it's a really good way to evaluate the market itself, the, the customer base. The crowdfunding platforms claim that their process is a way for the customers to select what gets built. And... 
you know, if that's true, uh, it should work quite well for us. Yeah, that seems to me like a great exercise in marketing, validating your market fit, right? To, you know, there are a lot of people out there just like you who suffer from these issues and and they would really value having something like this. Well, it's ultimately, uh, for me, uh, part of the research process was just going out and riding around and interacting with people. And, you know, it's surprising how many of the stories that come out you know, just in the course of a casual conversation, people's experiences with saddles are uh, often uh, quite dramatic and, and not good. They're not all that way, of course. There's a lot of people who can ride saddles and they don't have that much of a problem. But the ones who do have problems are often motivated to give it up altogether. And, uh, you know, I've run into those people and even out on the pathways, I've encountered a girl once who was riding a bike uh, she had rented for the day and hadn't been riding for a while and she was literally in tears from the pain she was in that sounds terrible um, <laughs> she needs this she needs this seat right away then and 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 what about you know in terms of going to like roadshow type things right where you've got these fitness conferences places where you can go and kind of showcase your product amongst other types of uh, exercise and fitness products, particularly around cycling. Any, any avenues of potential success in those areas? Well, the, the, the feedback I've been getting, especially from going around talking to retailers and that sort of thing and uh, interacting with a few manufacturers, it really came down to uh, if you're not showing them the final product, don't waste your time. <laughs> and so basically I'm at the point right now where I finally got a final product. So what you're describing is in the future. Okay, in your future. Okay, that that's cool. And then my next question you've kind of already got there is, you know, how far is this from actually becoming a real product? And you've got a prototype, you've done, you know, thousands of kilometers on this thing. That that's that means something that demonstrates that, you know, you've got something going here. What are, you know, how far are you away from that phase where you've got a, a very polished product that you can actually showcase? Well, that's the one I'm riding right now. Uh, it's actually uh, my own personal experience with it is I, I look forward to getting on it, which uh, I suppose is a, a test of some sort, although it's not objective. But the, the, the way the 3D printed one comes out, it, it was fascinating in the sense that uh, I realized that there was no cutting, there was no assembly, there's no welding, there's no finishing at the end. You just get the thing printed and mount it up, you know, put it together. And uh, so it, it eliminates a lot of the steps in the whole process. And what I've got right now is uh, it looks good. It feels good. It's, uh, you know, far lighter than I could have ever predicted and satisfies the criterion I had for what I would show people as a sellable product. So if you were able to get um, purchase orders and some commitment from, from a potential retail or some someone to buy a number of these, would you be looking at manufacturing here in Alberta or would you want to maybe offshore it, try and cut some costs down? Well, I, I should say at the, uh, just at the, off the, the top here that offshore manufacturing does not appeal to me for a number of reasons, uh, which I'm not going to get into right now. But I do want to see local manufacturing. Uh, uh, there are people in uh, in Calgary and probably in Edmonton, although I haven't followed up on that yet, who could likely do this sort of thing. It really comes down to capacity. You know, uh, how much does the equipment cost for the manufacturing these things versus the throughput you can get and ultimately what kind of a price you can set at the retail end of it. And if you're going through a, 
a retailer, you, you have to have a markup that makes them happy. So that's really the biggest question right now is, can it be manufactured in the quantities and at the price that I need it to be to achieve this end? Now, I, I know for a fact right now that if I had my own manufacturing capability, I could produce these things quite inexpensively because the materials don't cost much. And the, uh, you know, operating a 3D printer is basically electricity and some maintenance. And, you know, I've got the the models already set up to uh, drive that process. So all the things that would cost you a lot of money are already done. Um, that would require uh, investment, though. I'd need outside capital to be able to set that up. But like I said, there's a couple of ways that this could go. But in the long run, I think doing my own manufacturing is likely to be the best option. Well, I know somebody like uh, Calgary Economic Development would be happy to support you on that. I think if it came to the right product, got to the right maturation level, if you're familiar with the Adabotics story, uh, where they definitely gave a nice contribution to Adabotics to encourage them to stay here in Calgary and, and build their company out here in Calgary. So you might be, uh, you might be another attractive option for them. All of that stuff requires seed funding, which is really the barrier right now. So ultimately, we have to get over that obstacle before we can move there. But yes, I agree. There's likely to be some real interest in this once it gets to a point where they can see that there's a market. Cool. So where, uh, you know, that, that's kind of wraps up a lot of the questions that I had about the product itself. But, you know, where can people, where can people learn more about it? Where can people keep an eye on your progress? How can they help? If they want to help, you know, with doing prototype testing or anything like that, where, where should we send people? Uh, well, we have a website at xenomorphics.com. That starts with an X and ends with an X. <laughs> Xenomorph being a, a forum that has not been seen before. That, that's the primary point of contact. And uh, I'm building a blog on that site so you can see uh, where the development is going. But um, um, otherwise, uh, I'm, that's probably the best way. Uh, I've been doing uh, rainforest meetings and that sort of thing where I interact with people a lot and uh, getting my uh, contact information, primarily my email out there. But uh, that's my personal email. And we're just basically in the process of setting up a, a different approach to that. And if they want to see the thing, there's a video on the uh, website that uh, shows uh, an earlier version of it, but it tends to work the same way. So you can get an idea of how it performs when people are riding it. Perfect. Okay. Well, we'll definitely take that website uh, and put it in the put it in the show notes so people can go and, and check it out and uh, and keep an eye on what you're up to. Well, Mark, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to discuss this with us. Uh, it's great to see a, another clever innovator here in Alberta working hard. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about before we wrap it up? Well, it's all, really, I'm trying to get people to understand that this isn't just a, a project to make money. This is meant to change how society works. And there's a lot of governmental and advocacy uh, behind that, in particular right now because of the um, issues with the pandemic, but also the fact that people have noticed that if you don't have air pollution, your life gets better. <laughs> so I tell people that more people riding bikes is good for everyone, and I, I don't think there's any way to dispute that. Yeah, the uh, the improvement in air quality, particularly in some of the uh, cities over in Asia, has been remarkable. So hear you on that point, absolutely. Okay, well, I guess that's it for me. All right, Mark. Well, thanks again so much for your time, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you develop this further. Very good. If you haven't already, 
visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. The audio for this episode was professionally edited by Kate Day with KD Sound Design. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.